to do that thing and they're all in a collision course with one another i like to say it this way all truth is god's truth no matter where you find it all truth is god's truth we found in romans chapter one that god his truth is clearly seen in what god has created all of the creation the general revelation of god shows what the truth actually is and i'm here to tell you you may not like the truth but it's still the truth Truth isn't subjective. Just because you think your truth is right doesn't mean it is. In today's message, Pastor Daniel will remind you that there really is an absolute truth, despite the world's attempts to deny it. While Jesus was on earth, he set the standard for living that his Father created at the beginning of time. He expects you to follow it as well. It's a good standard that's different from the world, but is centered on salvation. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Romans chapter 2 as he begins his message, The Standard is Good. So it's always important to know how the score is being kept and what makes you win the game. There's nothing worse than not knowing what's going to get you exactly where you want to be. I mean, if you think about it, if you're watching baseball, you know that the team that wins at the end of the game is the one who had the most runs, right? If you're watching football, the team that wins the game is the one who has the most points. It doesn't matter how many yards you have on offense or how many penalties you have. Those are interesting stats, but they're actually not germane to winning the game. You think about, and it's discussed a lot in our day and age, if you want to become the president, It doesn't matter how much the popular vote is. You actually win the presidency based on the electoral college. Now, you can debate whether it should be that or shouldn't be that at this point. But that's a different discussion. But you always want to know, like, this is the standard. And this is the standard. And if I accomplish these things, then I can win. It's like when you're working, right? For most of us on our jobs, you don't want to just have an employee review, but you don't know what they're looking for. You actually want to know, this is how you ace your job. Same thing if you're in school, right? When there's an exam, you want to know, this is what I'm being graded on. And there's nothing worse than not knowing. I learned this in an important way. I remember when Lynn and I first got married. We must have been married for just about a month or so. And I'll never forget it. Lynn walked into the room, and she had this big smile on her face. She says, Hey, honey, so what do you think about this outfit on me? Does it make me look fat? Now, every man who's ever been married, or if you guys who want to be married, you realize that that is not your favorite question. And I remember, because like, you don't know what you're supposed to say in that moment. You know, I remember just looking at Now, my mama didn't raise no dummy, so I was not going to answer that question right away. So I remember just looking at her, just like, and she just kind of looked back at me, like waiting for an answer. And I'm like running like, you know, kind of like plus minus columns in my head. You know, like, I'm a guy. I'm like, so if I say this, then, then, you know, I'm trying to deduce the thing out. And then all of a sudden, Lynn just started laughing. She started saying, oh, Daniel, listen, my dad, when I was growing up, my dad was always super honest with me. Whenever I asked or my mom asked, does this look good on me? He would always be super honest with it. So you can be super honest with me. And I just stood there like a deer in headlights. Because I heard what she was saying, but I wasn't believing what was going on. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was raised right. I'm just like, and so then I'm like. I think it looks great. 
And she's like, oh, you're lying. You're not even telling me the truth. You're no good. And, and so then she walked away. But what I've learned after 14 years is that if Lynn asked me if I like the way it looks, like I'm really allowed to tell her. And I have 14 years of data that tells me if I tell her I don't like the way it looks, she doesn't get mad at me. And, and, and she, she likes it real honest. Now, for those of you guys who are married, you're not married to my wife, so I wouldn't trust that Lynn did it, okay? You got to get the okay from mama, how you're supposed to respond to those type of things. And I was reminded of this because I had a friend of mine who was trying on some clothes, and, and he heard an interaction between a couple, and, and the guy was real honest, and the wife was a little bit uh, dissatisfied with his honesty. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like, listen, like, it was, it's a great thing for me as a husband to know that when my wife asked me how, if I like an outfit, I win when I'm honest with her. Does that make sense? When I tell her my honest thoughts, she's really asking because she wants my thoughts. Now, what's funny is in other areas of our life, you know, I want to be a good husband. Like I want to like ace the husband standard. That's one of my goals in life. I want to be the kind of husband that Lynn's like, man, out of all the husbands I could have had, I could have done way better than Daniel, but I'm good with what I got. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know, and so we'll start talking about things. And, and I love this one because she'll say, hey, can I talk about this thing? She starts talking about, hey, hold on, listen. Is this that we're talking about things where you, what you want from me is just to listen to you and tell you that you're amazing? Or do you want my opinion on it? And then she goes, oh, that's a great question. And then sometimes she's like, I just want you to listen. I'm like, great. And then, or sometimes she's like, no, I actually want you to pull out your tool belt and fix it. Because I'm a guy. And so I want to pull out the tool belt. And I want to fix everything, even when I'm not supposed to. You know? And so she tells me what she wants. And then it's up to me. I know what the standard is. And then I, may, I either ace it. Or like a normal dude, she tells me she wants me just to be quiet. I can't help myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? But at least if you know what the standard is. And just, you know, in your marriages, that's a great question. Like, in this situation, what do you want from me? Because a lot of ways, isn't it true, some of the struggles in marriage is that you actually want something from your spouse that they don't know. They can't read your mind. You do something else and you're like, oh, whoops, I screwed this up. I didn't even know I, was, I screwed it up. But now I know. You know, so you get those, you ask those clarifications on what is the standard so that really the goal is to live up to the standard. The goal is to exceed the standard, you know. And in every area of our life, we should say, what is the standard that I am being held to and what do I need to do to take the steps to live up to that standard? Now, what's amazing, I bring this in the personal realm or our culture, because really God has a standard for all of us as well. There's a standard that God imposes upon each one of us, on all of humanity. And it's important for us to understand what the standard is. What are the characteristics of the standard by which we're being weighed against so that we can see who we are and where we fit within it? Now, one of the things that I love so much about the scriptures, of course, is that the Bible is very clear about what God is looking for from us. But we live in a day and age where everybody wants whatever they want out of life. It's like everyone has like a choose your own adventure kind of mentality. And so then when you start talking about this is the standard by which God sees humanity, people get very nervous. But what I will tell you and we'll see today is that even if you don't like the standard, it's still the standard that your life is being weighed against. You don't get to choose everything. And we're going to talk about that today. And so we are going to look at a message that I am calling the standard is good. And we're going to do it from Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. We're going to be taking verses 1 to 16. I want you to be able to read along. I'm going to be reading a lot of text to you today, and I'm going to be breaking it open for you. Now, I want to put it in context where we've been. And if you've been tracking with us in this Life Intention series from the first number of chapters from the book of Romans, you realize why we're calling it Life Intention, because we're talking about things that are pretty tense. We're talking about things that aren't necessarily culturally appropriate, but they are biblical reality. And if you remember, we started in the first 17 or so verses of Romans chapter 1, and really what we saw is we saw the power of the gospel. 
We saw that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it's the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe, right? And Paul's not ashamed of that gospel. But the reason we needed Jesus to come to live and to die and to rise again is because there's a problem with humanity. And what we saw in our last message, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, we saw the diagnosis of what's going on in humanity. And really what we saw is that although within the good news of Jesus, God's righteousness is revealed, God's wrath is also revealed against an ungodly and unrighteous world in which we live. We saw that people suppress the truth and then they ignore revelation and then they deny God his glory. And when that happens, then God begins to give people over to the exchanges that they're making in their relationship with their God, the way they see themselves and with the world in which we live. So we make a choice. God gives us over to that choice and then we live it out. Now, if you're like, what are you talking about? You can go back in the archives and listen to the last message. And really what happens is is our society is actually a textbook case in what a culture looks like when they have denied God and God has given us over to the depravity of our minds and we make those exchanges and God pushes us down that road. That's what you're seeing today. Now, what's amazing is, is that in the context of that, as we move into Romans chapter two, it'd be real easy for many of us to look at a broken world and say, that's why I hate this world. That's why I hate these people and all this stuff. You have that us and them mentality. And so in Romans two, the apostle Paul grabs that mindset by the horns and wrestles it to the ground. And so this message is going to be another one of those tense messages because we're going to see in it a mistake that almost all of us make in some way or another. And some of us, our entire lives are this mistake over and over and over again. And so we're going to just see it for what it is. And so really what you have is we're going to see three criteria or three aspects of the standard by which God judges humanity. Now, I'm going to give them to you up front so that you can grab hold of them and look at them later, but I'm going to unpack it for you. The first one you get in verse 2, the second one you get in verse 11, and then the third one you get in verse 16. So if you like writing in your Bible or you like messing with your neighbor's Bible, circle verse 2, circle verse 11, and then circle verse 16 three different qualities or criteria of the standard. And if you don't like writing in your Bible, you can write in your neighbor's Bible. Don't worry about it. But I'm going to unpack it for you. I just want to give you that up front for your further study later. But let's just jump in. Look what it says. Verse 1 of Romans 2. It says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth, against those who practice such things. And do not think, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So you see what the Apostle Paul does. Now in chapter 2, he almost takes on having a, a faux argument, a pseudo-argument with somebody who we could consider to be a moralist. Whether it's a Jewish person who isn't practicing all the things you read about in Romans 1. Or maybe even a moral unbeliever. Somebody who, although they are not following the God of the Bible, they still have a strong sense of morality. Or, for like a lot of us, someone who's been following Jesus who does not live in unrighteousness or ungodliness. So he begins to have like an argument with a person who's in this situation. And he says, therefore you are inexcusable, 
Oh man, whoever you are who judge, for whenever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you practice the same things. Now you see what's going on here. He's saying that in light of Romans chapter 1, maybe the common response from people who believe in God is to judge other people. Right? It's, it's a very common thing. If you were to go into our community and say, when you think of a Christian, what's the first word that you think? They're going to say judgmental. And that's unfortunate. And I often say that Jesus needs new PR. Because that's not what we're supposed to be. That's not what we're supposed to be. He says it's inexcusable when you go and you judge somebody else. But here's the thing. Why is it inexcusable? Well, simply because what we see first is that God judges by truth. So we should choose goodness. God judges by truth. So we should choose goodness. Look what it says in verse 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to what? Truth. And I use the word goodness because we see goodness popping up over and over again in these verses, specifically in verse 4. So because God judges in truth or by truth, we should choose goodness. Now, here's the thing. Remember I said that we love to live in a choose-your-own-adventure kind of a world? We live in a day and age where people think that you can choose your own truth. I'm here to tell you, if your truth is different from my truth, then neither one is necessarily the truth. Because you can't have situational truth or flexible truth or truth on a sliding scale. Because if it's that, then it's not really truth. Truth is infallible. It exists at all times. And I, you can choose your clothes. You can choose your coffee. You can choose how many Mudman burgers you want to eat on any given day. You can choose, you can choose who you vote for and you can choose who you root for on a sports team, but you actually can't choose truth. Truth is something that sits apart from you no matter how you feel about it. Now, I know that might be offensive to some of you, but if you don't believe me that truth is not flexible, all you have to do is look in the world in which we live where everyone thinks it's your truth, it's my truth. You realize that right now everyone's truths are conflicting with one another. That's why people can't get along at all on any reason. And we'll be like, well, it's my truth to do this thing, and it's my truth to do that thing, and it's my truth to do that thing, and they're all in a collision course with one another. I like to say it this way, all truth is God's truth, no matter where you find it. All truth is God's truth. We found in Romans chapter 1 that God, his truth is clearly seen in what God has created. All of the creation, the general revelation of God shows what the truth actually is. And I'm here to tell you, you may not like the truth, but it's still the truth. And I remember when I came to terms with that, growing up the way that I was raised. I mean, amazing. I grew up in an amazing family, super loving, but we didn't know what the truth was. And I thought I could make up whatever I wanted to do. This day, this is my truth. Next day, this is my other truth. My next truth, or I don't like my last truth, so I traded that thing in. And I remember just at some point being like, this is nuts. Like, my truth knows no end and no amount of variability. And I'm like, maybe the problem is, is that my truth is just falsehood. I just like to call it truth so I feel better about myself. And that's what some of us are doing right now. You're just, you're like, this is my truth. And it's really, this is just what you want, right? Just say, say, it's not my truth, it's just what I want. But don't call it the truth. Because if what you want hurts, is a dishonoring to God and hurts other people, it's not God's truth. That's just how you're living, like a dog. Don't you love Crossroads? This is Crossroads for you. You know, just like, lay it out there. Like, like you know, just write down, don't be a dog. <laughs> Let your dog, I mean a bad dog. I mean, your dog's a wonderful dog, but you know, like a bad dog, you know what I mean? But here's the thing. God judges by truth. And because God judges by truth, none of us should sit in the judgment seat of anybody else. You know what he says. Verse 1. Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. 
Verse three, and do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? You see what's, see, so, no, listen, this is a hard thing. And listen, like, you realize that, like, as followers of Jesus, like, the church of Jesus Christ in this generation has a PhD on judging other people. But here's the thing, right there, right there, it says that when you judge others, you condemn yourself. And now, Jesus also said this, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. And the word in the Greek literally means to judge under condemnation. So it's not saying that you don't make distinctions or you don't look at something and say something is wrong. It's just what happens when you notice something is wrong in your heart, when you condemn somebody? It says, that's the problem. Condemn not lest you be condemned. Why? For whatever judgment you judge, you will be judged by. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, really what he's saying is that the problem is, is whatever standard you set up for other people that you judge people against, that you condemn people with, you're actually falling short. You know why? Because the things that you hate about other people are always the things that you do. Or as I like to say it, my sin looks terrible when you do it. Here's how I know. Think about the things that bug you the most about somebody. I guarantee you it's something that you've either struggled with or you're struggling with presently. Like if you're in a conversation like so-and-so is always talking. I guarantee if you ask your spouse, you're a super chatty Kathy. I guarantee it. Because you just don't like competition for the talking space. Right? If you're like so-and-so is so hypocritical. Right? And it's, I guarantee you, if that's where you are, I guarantee you, there's hypocrisy going on in your own heart. You just don't like it seeing it reflected back at you. Or, of course, some of the most condemnatory people are people who've struggled with something in the past who aren't struggling with it right now, but they're looking down on people who struggled the way they used to. Right? And so, really what he's saying is that, rather than being, like, if you would look at the people who are living out Romans chapter 1, that second half of the chapter, and you judge them, he's saying, look, because God judged by truth, You're actually condemned as well because you don't live up to all that stuff either. And by very nature, the problem with judgment is that when you judge, judgment at its root, you know what the root sin is? Idolatry. Because you know what? God hasn't asked you to be the judge of everybody. God didn't ask you to sit on the federal court of he needs help judging the world. Billy Graham said it this way, it's God's job to judge, it's the Spirit's job to convict, and it's my job to love. But for too many of us, we think God needs help. Like, he, like it's, the, it's the fourth circuit court of you. And you look at everybody, you look down your nose at them, but really what you're doing is you're saying, I am God. God has entrusted me to condemn you. No, listen, only God is the judge of the world. And the beauty of who God is, is God judges based on truth. Because he is the truth, Jesus is the truth. God doesn't need help in judgment. But the church has decided that this is the best way to get at it. And I'm here to tell you it's wrong. And that's why so often the Christian witness in this generation is broken. Because we see a speck in someone else's eye, but we don't realize there's a plank hanging out of our own eye. Now you realize, if you think of a speck as like a piece of sawdust, a plank is a whole lot of pieces of sawdust that are still together. So you go to help someone with their speck and you nail them in the head with your two by four. And nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. He's saying, look, first deal with your own junk. And as you deal with your own junk, you're not going to bang someone in the head with a two by four. Right? Because you remove that thing and you deal with them in humility. See, here's the thing. 
Because God judges by truth, then you and I, we should choose goodness. Because look at what it says. In verse 4, it says, Or do you despise the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, for knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? See, here's the thing. The wrath of the church will never lead someone to repentance. Your judgment on somebody else who is not following Jesus will never lead them to repentance. Why? Because it's not your job to do that. What leads someone to repentance? God's what? God's goodness. That's what it says right there. That's what I want you to do. I want you to take your pen. I want you to circle verse 4 in your neighbor's Bible. Go ahead. Circle it. Circle it. And circle in yours as well. You don't want to miss that verse. Here's the deal. When you and I judge other people, what according to this verse, it says that we are despising. Now, despising is like really serious, passionate displeasure, right? You are despising God's goodness, all the things that pertain to good, his forbearance, which speaks of God's self-control, and then also his long-suffering, which is an old word for patience. And the best definition of patience is to suffer for a long time. That when you judge somebody else, you are despising the very character of God. And not just those three attributes, but notice it says the riches of those attributes. So it's not just that God is good, and that God is patient, and that God is is self-willed and self-controlled as he waits, but God is wealthy in those characteristics. And when we, as God's people, judge somebody else, we are actually despising his character because we forget that it's not the judgment of a person that leads us to repentance, it's God's goodness. The reason you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ along the way, those of you who are here, who are followers of Jesus, is because of God's goodness along the way you realize that God's grace can save you. Long before you realize that grace was bought at the cross, you realize that God's goodness wooed you to his side. And brothers and sisters, if that's the case for us, then why should we ever think that our wrath or our frustration with other people is going to redeem them? I'm here to tell you, when you realize that your methodology stinks, change it. Jesus is God doesn't need your help judging others. As Pastor Daniel shared in today's message, the perfect and almighty creator of the universe isn't in need of any assistance in this area from his creation. Though forming and acting on opinions is commonplace, you don't have to participate. You can stand out from the crowd and follow Jesus' example, loving everyone, no matter who they are. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks for joining me on Jesus is Real Radio. I realize that not all of you who listen are followers of Jesus, but I actually believe that there are many of you right now as you've been listening, you're saying, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I want his death and resurrection to be applied to my life. And if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me, which is just saying thank you to Jesus for saving you. Let's go ahead. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I'm so stoked for you. And I want to get some more resources into your hands to help you continue this journey. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 
5100-514-0000. And we'll get some resources into your hands. Now don't go anywhere. Some folks from my team want to share some amazing things with you. Thanks, Daniel. Again, if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel, take out your cell phone and text the word SAVED. S-A-V-E-D to 51400. We'd love to get some resources into your hands and the Crossroads team wants to connect with you. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will again touch on some uncomfortable topics, mainly politics. Don't worry, there's a good reason for it. Join us next time to learn more about how Jesus expects you to act in situations brought about by politics by relationships, and by living in a fallen world. It isn't easy to live set apart, but with Jesus' example and the Holy Spirit's help, you can make a difference. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series, Life Intention. Till then, may God bless.